Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Dishing with Digest, now on Spotify, so listen on Spotify. I'm Stephanie Sloan, Editorial Director, here with Mara Levinsky, Senior Editor. Hi, everyone. So, Mara, we have more casting news from Days of Our Lives. Kyle Lauder, who played Rex, will be back for an upcoming arc. Now, I know you'll recall we had Kyle on the podcast last year to promote his holiday movie, A Mermaid for Christmas, and he admitted that he felt that Rex had kind of, you know, my words, gotten short shrift in that, like, Rex was a jerk and left a jerk. (laughs) Right. Um, But this time around, Kyle tells me we are going to see a different side of Rex, the one we kind of expected to see during his first go-round. So I think that will be kind of interesting. We also have an interview with Brandon Barash about his return to Days. Uh, So he's going to be playing a guy named Jake, who is a rough-around-the-edges mechanic, uh, very different from Stefan O. Demera. Um, Brandon admits that he was surprised he got the call to come back, which is understandable since Stefan's heart had been given to Julie, um, but he was definitely intrigued by the show's pitch. I also actually spoke to Ron Carlovati about bringing Brandon back, and he admits that there was like so much chemistry between Stefan and Gabby that they felt they could possibly recapture it between Brandon and Camila Banis with this new character. So... Tune in Stabby fans, you know? Right, totally. You know, I think a a lot of fans felt like Brandon's previous stint on Days was cut too short. So I say good for the show and obviously for Brandon that he's back in Salem. Um, Another fun interview we have in the new issue is with Brooke Kerr, who played Whitney Russell for the entirety of Passions' run and is now back on daytime on GH specifically as Portia Robinson, Tiger's ex-wife and Trina's mom, who also has a past with Curtis and is now on staff at the hospital, all of which is to say that the show has quickly integrated her into Port Charles. I have to say that I had never spoken to Brooke before last year when we did our big feature in the magazine, catching up with Passions alums as we celebrated the 20th anniversary of uh, that show's premiere. But I took such an instant shine to her because she's such a sweet woman and so warm. And I was so happy to get to talk to her again, this time about her new gig. And um, we were marveling at like what a full circle kind of role this is for her because on Passions, she was the teenage daughter with the doctor mom. And now on GA, she's the doctor mom with a teenage daughter. Um, oh, that's amazing. She also told me that she had first auditioned for GH even before booking Passions. So landing on the show was a long time coming. Uh, but she's basically still pinching herself because she'd actually been working in real estate when the show reached out to her agent about having her come in to screen test for Portia. So it's an opportunity that came out of the blue for her, but in the very best way. You know, I feel like it's been such a long time since we've seen a Passions actor, like, added to a soap. So I was super excited to see her in Port Charles. And actually, this issue to me is a must-buy for GH fans because we have the exclusive preview for what is happening in May. And Mara, you spoke to the show's head writers, Chris Van Etten and Dan O'Connor, for the scoop. So tell everyone what they can expect to see. I think it's going to be an exciting month. Um, So Sunny is going to be in a heartbreaking position as Mike's health continues to deteriorate. And there will be major fireworks in and out of the courtroom as the custody for baby Wiley races toward the finish line. And Robert, who just got word of the passing of his beloved Holly, gets entangled in a new mystery as he learns that not everything is as it seems on the subject of her uh, demise. 
Well, that excites me so much. So first of all, I was such a Robert Holly fan. Um, I loved Holly in general. Uh, Mari, you know that I'm a big old Anglophile and Emma Sams was just so awesome in the role. So like count me in for any Holly Robert business. So we will have Days of Our Lives in the next issue, but we don't have May Sweeps for either Young and Restless or Bold and Beautiful because their original episodes have officially stopped airing. I mean, this is something completely unprecedented. You know, it's one thing for the shows to be preempted because of an impeachment hearing or like because of the OJ trial, but this is just a crazy situation. I mean, obviously, as is what's happening in the world in general, but you know, on the bright side, we'll be getting classic episodes, which you and I have talked about in the past few weeks. And I know I've already gotten emails from fans about how they're enjoying them already. Yeah, I think given this unprecedented situation, the shows have worked quickly and smartly, you know, to figure out how to fill the programming gap. I mean, I would certainly rather have classic episodes uh, than the shows not being shown at all in favor of, you know, like more news or some other kind of non-soap programming. But I just have to say how wild it is to me as we are all being affected in various ways by the pandemic that this truly is a first uh, for a genre that is defined by its lack of repeats and its constant influx of original episodes. And for the you know first time in 47 years in Y&R's case and 33 years in B&B's, the pause button has been hit in such a dramatic way for the storylines on these shows. I mean, it's, it's almost hard to like wrap your head around because as daytime viewers, we are so not used to it. Yeah. Well, one story we will definitely have to wait to find out about is Sharon's battle with cancer on Young and the Restless, which has given our guests today a lot to do of late. It's Jordi Villasuso, who has played Ray Rosales for almost two years. So he's a relative newcomer to Genoa City, but not to Soaps. So let's chat with him about his daytime journey. Hi, Jordi. Hey, y'all. How's everybody doing? We're good. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Well, we have to start with um, how you're feeling and how your family is feeling. You revealed on social media that you and your wife, uh, Caitlin, and your two daughters, Riley and Everly, had tested positive for the coronavirus. So we're so happy and relieved that you're well enough to speak to us. But obviously, it's a scary situation, uh, especially with two young children, I imagine. So tell us the story. So the night before uh, the doctrine for shelter in place uh, was established in Los Angeles, we had hung out with some friends. And one of our dear friends, uh, had, uh, unbeknownst to us, had the, the, the virus. And it uh, it was just my wife and kids and his wife and kids. And um, the next day he was feeling fluish. And then the next day my wife was feeling fluish. And then the next day I was feeling fluish. So it was this real distinct timeline of everybody getting these symptoms. Um, we reached out to our doctors. Uh, we had all the symptoms. He tested positive, we tested positive, and we started the the process of, you know, going through what in turn turned out to be a two-week process of just having these symptoms. Um, it's really funny because it, it's like an ebb and flow. Like one day you'll feel um, fine. The next day you'll feel down in the dumps. And it, it, it's very specific. Uh, what was most, I guess, telling that we had the virus was this thing called uh, anosmia, or uh, anosmia, I, I believe it's called, which is the loss of taste and smell. Mm-hmm. Um, to my wife's just horrible disappointment because, you know, staying at home, what we like to do is cook and eat. We're like foodies pretty much. So we couldn't mm-hmm. even do that in the midst of going through this. Uh but for me, to be perfectly honest, I was down for like a day and a half, just feeling fluish. Um, the scary part was was my wife, just seeing her, um, you know, go through the troubles with the breathing. Um, and then I, I'm fortunate enough that my father and my brother are both doctors. So they, they talked us through what was going on, um, as well as our doctors here, who were, you know, very giving of their time. Um, but 
you know, we got, we got her an inhaler, something called uh, a Ventolin inhaler. And my father taught her how to use it. And it really, really seemed to help. Uh, for me, I, I basically said, sleep, I'll take care of the kids. I'll do everything. My, my three-year-old, you know, she's in preschool, so she has no worries in the world. My seven-year-old's in first grade and she was on spring break. So it was just keeping them busy, playing games while my wife rested and I would just check in on her. Um, you know, what was I going to do? Be in quarantine with her. We, the, from what we understood, it's like the kids don't get it. So we were like, okay. I mean, I had to take care of my kids. Nobody else was going to come in the household. Mm-hmm. When we found out the kids got it, um, that was really scary. We leaned into the what is presented to us as facts that children really don't present a lot of the symptoms that we as adults do. Right. So we were hopeful in that. Um, our little three-year-old had a cough at night, and then she was great during the day. Fevers, the loss of taste and smell, they both had that. Um, wow. But it's it's really you know it's 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 this this part that we don't really know what too much information about the virus, and so you get in this head trip of like oh my god am I going to you know have to you because you hear about these healthy young adults getting you know these twenty thirty year old guys ladies are in perfect health and they they're in the hospital and they're on ventilators and so these images these dark images come in your brain of uh, like, am I going to end up in the hospital? Am I going to be away from my family? Are my kids going to go to the hospital? What's that going to look like? So the, the, the psychological aspect of it was really uh, the hardest thing for me to deal with. Uh-huh. Sure, um, of course. Because there's just so many unknowns. And, um, but we got through it. We got through it. And then the process of putting it on social media was a journey. It was like, well, should we do it? For me, probably the reason I did it or, or really jumped on it was because I felt kind of stigmatized in my own head. Like I got coronavirus. Does that make me an outsider? Am I like, are people going to look at me differently? Like how, how, what does that mean? Right. So I wanted people, I wanted to put that out there just as a, as a way that people relate that like, like we got over this, we're blessed that we had mild symptoms and now we're moving on, you know, um, and and I've had my own um, kind of judgments with social media, mm-hmm. but I felt in this way I was, you know, being in quarantine makes you kind of spend a lot of time on social media. So I saw a lot of people out there kind of relating their stories, and I I did uh, I did take in some some solace and some uh, relatability through that, and it, it it helped me through this quarantine. So I was hoping that me and my wife could do that for others as well. And what's been the response you've gotten? It's been so, uh, I, I, geez, I just started tearing up. It's just been really um, beautiful. Uh, you know, YNR put out something today um, and uh, that we, we shot at the house, which was really fun. I was like, I haven't been able to act in so long. And huh. it's like, let's put a little PSA up in the kitchen with the kids, which was really sweet. And the response has been just so great from my friends and fans and and the show um everyone across the board has reached out and just been so beautiful and it reminds me of like what a family it's become for me why not just mm-hmm. become such a, a place that i can go to and and just be real and, and do what i love um so it's just been beautiful and a lot of people have you know told us their stories as well and we dug into that with some people that we don't even know and just talk them through it through through social media so it's been beautiful um in that regard and tell us how all four of you are feeling now we're feeling great we just got back from a long walk it's our dog maddie's uh 10th birthday so we took her on a nice long walk happy birthday, happy birthday right? Maddie. our first girl our first girl she uh it was beautiful beautiful day outside we got out nice and early and um I'm feeling great. I'm feeling 100%. I, everything's back to, to normal. And my wife as well. She still says she has a little loss of taste and smell. Um, but I don't know if that's kind of like in her head or what have you. A lot of this is really heady, you know, because you can't go to a doctor and get like a full. They don't even really understand all 
the symptoms, how they present themselves. So there's a lot of questions, uh, but we feel 100% for sure. That's great. Oh, goodness. And also, I have to say, I have to say, I take my head off to to Greg Reichardt as well. Um, Him putting it out there was also um, something that, and and I think he had a a worse case than we did. Um, But what he went through and me catching up with him a little bit, um, I told him, I go, man, thank you for, you know, really taking the first step and, and putting it out there. Because uh, that really made me feel like uh, I could follow in those footsteps. So I, I do take my hat off to him, for sure. Mm-hmm. And it's great that he's doing well, too. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I, I think it's important, you know, for both of you to use your platform to to talk about it. Because, it, you know, it's something that is or is potentially affecting all of us. Yeah. Well, I'm going to make an inelegant segue here, Jordy, um, because there's so much to talk about with you and your career and your daytime history. Um, so you were born and raised like in the Miami, Florida area. Um, pre all of the the glitz and the glam, what was your childhood like? Oh, man. Um, Miami, you know, it's funny in listening to Maurice Bernard's podcast with you guys and him talking about the machismo that he had growing up. We had a lot of that in Miami growing up, a lot of that Latin macho kind of thing. Um, and I grew up on the onset of, um, you know, South beach blowing up, you know, the nineties. Um, I moved to New York, um, 2000, but, uh, you know, just growing up in Miami had a beautiful childhood. And then in high school and I, and I started acting at a really young age too. I started doing theater, um, community theater and theater in my school and just wanting to act. And then when I went into high school, um, man, did I get into trouble? We had a lot of trouble as kids. My, I always looked old for my age, older. And my brother, who was three years older than me, I would use his fake ID because he, he kind of looked like me. And we would go out to clubs as kids. So we would get into all types of trouble. And thank God we, we got out of it unscathed. And... Um, and then after high school, which I went to a wonderful high school, ran some Everglades. Um, and then I went to, I moved right after high school. I moved to Los Angeles because I knew I had an agent and the whole thing. And I knew that this is what I wanted to do from a very young age. Um, and then after about 10 months of being in LA, I moved to, to New York to start guiding light, which was uh, an incredible chapter in my career. It's just, such a fun um, between living in New York, the Tony Santos character, the Santos family, the relationships that I had there. Um, the, uh, the city changed so much while I was there with 9-11 and everything. Um, it was just uh, a real beautiful, uh, meaningful, exceptional time in my life. Mm-hmm. Well, it's amazing, but this August will mark the 20th anniversary of your daytime debut as Tony oh Santos on God. God. <laughs> Wow. Okay. <laughs> now, you wow. were a teenager when you joined the show. So first tell us your 19. casting story. Um, I was living in LA. Uh, I had been testing for soaps at a young age. I had tested for Another World when I was um, 17, GH, when I was uh, 18. Um, so I had been in you know, the realm of, of the casting for soaps for a while. You know, when I went to New York, I have to say I wasn't clinging on to the part that much, meaning I wasn't like, oh, I have to get this part because I was more accustomed to L.A. and I was digging the vibe out there. So it was really like a coin toss, like I could win either way. Um, I know that I really liked the role because it had this this edginess to him that I could dig into. Um and that was really intriguing for me. Um, so yeah, when when I and they they had been looking for the role for months. I remember Rob Cena, the casting director. He came to LA, and I was an off book. And they, I remember him telling my agent that he said to my agent, he's like, "Listen, he can get this if he wants it, but he's gotta gotta memorize those lines." Um, so. 
that that was the beginning of me really being prepared and then you know going to test and then uh, you know just getting the Tony Santos role and becoming part of this this family and, and this great show man the, the, I see some of the, the clips from YouTube and it was just like man was that a fun show to be on I bet so okay outside of winning an Emmy for it which we'll get to um like what most stands out to you about your your three years in Springfield the character I mean it was like I had always wanted to play uh, like a gangster kind of role like that was really like growing up watching the godfather you know these very again going back to my roots this macho this manly macho this these guys who have to who are on the fringes of society but there's they're also like the anti-heroes so they have some um qualities to them that are very um that win people over that to me was just very attractive and then um, living in New York City, Springfield, um, getting to work with the likes of Ken Zimmer, Paul Anthony Stewart, um, you know, Ricky Paul Golden, and, and, you know, having my early 20s there while my friends were going to, you know, university or what have you. And just like when they would come up to visit me, they were just like the, the size of their eyes would be like, <laughs> like these saucers. And they're like, wow, this is completely different than what we're going through. Um, and just really having no, uh, filter, you know, you're young, you're 19, you're like really kind of figuring out what this acting thing is. So you're, you're learning, you're, you're watching people, you're going to acting class, you're learning from the greats, you really want to, you know, do good work. So I really took a lot of risks and they gave me a platform to do it. They really were like, here, bro, like do this. You're, you're, we're going to give you the, the entree and you, you have at it. So I really, you know, bit into it and um, was really grateful that I, I was given that opportunity. Mm -hmm. Well, you mentioned living in New York. So what was that like for you coming from Miami and then Los Angeles? Man, that city, it's just, I, you know, my wife, I had to work three jobs there when she, and share a one bedroom apartment with a roommate. I had a much different experience. So I think when you have... Um, if you're working in the city and you're doing well and you're able to enjoy the fruits of New York, it's a completely different experience. So I had George Alvarez who played my brother, father, brother, father, Ray. Um, he, he, you know, I don't know if you guys know this, but George used to be a bartender at studio 54. No, I didn't know. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So he knew all the ins and outs of the city. So he was, and right when I got there, George basically, George was at a dinner, like I think a week before and was told by my grandmother's best friend that I was coming into town. Get this. I was coming into town to do this uh, guiding light show. And he's like, that guy's going to play my brother. So he already had some history. He already knew about wow. me coming out. Wow. Right? That's cool. Yeah. And I mean, from the get-go, George showed me the ropes. He, you know, gave me some, he, he was, I was, he's about 21 years older than me. And he, he basically just told, you know, let me come to his home. Um, and, and to be honest, he's the one that I've really stayed close to all these years. Um, he shares the same birthday as my father. So I reach out to him every birthday uh, and, uh, you know, we always check in. Um, and I, I had, you know, a lot of fun. I have to say, I had a lot of fun. I also got out of it unscathed as well. I would go out with those boys. I would go out with Ricky and George, and they would, you know, they'd show me around town. And uh, and man, was it a good time? Sounds I thought we had a little terrible. bed in our dressing rooms. We had these little beds in our dressing rooms. The dressing rooms were really small on 44th and 2nd at the, the studios where we shot mm -hmm. uh, Guiding Light. But we had this little chair that turned into like a, a really a thin twin futon so it would flip out and i remember many many <laughs> days when i would come in when i had a call time at 7 a.m and i didn't have to be on set till 12 and i would sleep in that bed because i had been out with george alvarez and ricky Poggle. <laughs> yeah 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 if you were young in new york what else was there to do totally. what was i gonna do these guys were just like i was young i was naive and i was just following <laughs> 
you know, soap opera stars. It was just around town. <laughs> That's right. I didn't know. No, I did. I came from Miami. Well, what, what did I know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nothing fun to do there. Yeah, yeah nothing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, just you know, one sleepy little town to the next. So, um, exactly. so in 2003, it was that you won the daytime Emmy for Outstanding Younger Actor. So tell us what you remember about that night and hearing your name called and all of that good stuff. Um, I remember that I had to change this. I mean, this was one, you know, they still aired the, the Emmys on, on network television at night. Um, I believe it was on ABC. And... I remember that I had to have a different game face on because I was nominated the year before and I got a lot of shit from my friends uh, on how I respond, like how I reacted when my name wasn't called. So I was like, all right. They gave you notes. I was like, all right. I'm in, yeah. So I was in that square and I remember I had like my, my hand covering my face a little bit. I was like, all right. And I, and I felt like I had a really strong tape too. I remember the, what was submitted and I was really, really proud of it. Really, really proud. Um, and when they, you know, when they dropped my name, um, you know, I just started cursing, you know, that was the first thing that came out of my mind because I knew I was going to have to go up there. And I, just for that moment, I felt like that thrill of, okay, this is your time. So I really enjoyed it. I really took it in and that was and I really didn't even think about it but I was like man this never happened so I was glad that I actually did seize that and was able to really breathe it in and take in the the excitement of it and uh, and I remember my grandfather my parents I mean they would they would all come they from the first from, from that time from 19 to 22 from those Emmys my father would buy tickets for and these are expensive tickets but you know He's, he wanted to do it and he would fly up the whole family and they would all come. And that year that I won, he had brought my grandfather along. And my grandfather must have been 70. No, 74, 74 years old. And my father, when they named my, when they said my name, my father looked over my grandfather and he was concerned because he was so, he saw my grandfather like was so excited, had all this energy and passion, like just so proud that he had to, he had to like calm him down because he didn't want him to go into <laughs> cardiac arrest. He was like, just chill. Like. And afterwards um, we all went into the lobby and, and just shared this beautiful, beautiful moment. It was uh it was a beautiful moment. I remember hugging him and my dad, and it was, it was those, those don't, those are, those are the good ones. It's better than gold. Yeah, yeah better than gold. Yeah, the trophy. Um, it's, it's, yeah. My wife put the trophy next to the TV in the living room. I would have hid it in the closet, um, but <laughs> she decides to put it on display, and it's missing half a wing. We lost the half a wing of the Emmy. We hear that a lot, actually. Yeah. yeah. Oh, really? Okay, good. Yes. That makes me feel so much better. Yes, we and hear they break. Say, say what? We hear that they break. They easily. break. Yeah. 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 They're not. They're not gold. That's for sure. <laughs> it looks gold, but it's not gold. Um, now you left the show when your three-year contract expired. So, what made what motivated your decision to go? So my manager at the time, Marjorie Morhaim, uh, said that this was a stepping stone and she brought me under her wing. I mean, I started acting, uh, doing stuff in Florida when I was like 12. Like I knew, like I would bother my parents from a very young age, like telling them, like, like I know this is what I'm supposed to do and this is what I wanted to do. And so in Florida, they had a very small industry and the casting director for Miami Vice was a woman by the name of Lori Wyman and her sister Marjorie Morhaime were they were in charge of local casting in Miami for Miami Vice as well as some other shows. So this woman Marjorie Morhaime had a children's acting workshop and she took me under her wing and pretty much brought me up in the in the acting game in Florida and and got me um, representation in Los Angeles as well. And we had decided early on that this was going to be a three year contract 
I was going to win an Emmy and I was going to go on and do other things. And that's check, what it check. was. <laughs> yeah. Check, check. And, um, I was 21. I really, you know, didn't have besides her any mentorship or anything like that. So I was like, yeah. And, and I had ended up, um, I had a, a pilot out in my last year and I ended up doing a pilot for Chris Kaiser and Amy Lippman, who were the executive producers of and creators of party of five. And they created this other show. And I got the lead on that show along with Amanda Rigetti. Um, and it was a great pilot. And I signed with a huge agency at the time, ICM. And I was like, all right, well, I guess I'm, I'm on my way out to do other things. And thus, uh, proceeded my journey back to Los Angeles and, you know, in the, the roller coaster of Hollywood and, and uh, you know, the, the actor's journey, part of my actor's journey. Mm -hmm. So talk to us about like some of the projects that stand out to you, I guess, before you did make your return to soaps in 2010. Man, they range from theater in Los Angeles. Uh, I did um, Blood Wedding which was uh, something I'm really proud of. I did 30 shows in Spanish um, and I think five in English, which was uh, something I'd always wanted to do. Um, for, uh, to primetime TV, I did, uh, you know, pilots that, you know, unfortunately never saw the light of day and um, some recurring roles, um, some primetime gigs. I got to work with um, Andy Garcia, uh, some other, um, just like uh, CSI Miami's, uh, a lot of CBS shows actually. And, um, you know, just here and there you get a role. It's like, yes. And then, and then you don't work for a couple months and then you get another role and it's like, you know, so you kind of have to keep that. You have to keep your, your tool set like really sharp because it's like, you don't know when the next gig going to, it's going to happen. And I remember somebody telling me from, a, from when I first started, an actor's job is getting his next job. You know what I mean? So it's like, and that's something that was very, still to this day, alluring about um, being in daytime television. It's like, not only do I get, uh, you know, to work um, throughout the year, but it's, it's, it's weekly. So you're not like, uh, you know, I, I get to, on this show in particular, because I've been on other shows where we're off, like we're dark like three weeks and they're shooting you know, they're like eight months ahead. But on this one, we get to work all the time. So I really miss that. Um, so when the opportunity came for um, all my children and the role of Griffin Castillo, I was ready to go back because I missed that. You know, you could almost, you could always do, you know, acting classes, but you're not, and, and all the other stuff, get together with friends and work and, and do gigs here and there. But I love the fact of having what I call the, the nine to five in, in what we do, which is, is daytime soap operas. We get to go in, we get to work. I get to come back home to my kids, to my wife and, and spend time with them. Okay. And you can, and, and when you're given that great material and you're able to sink your teeth into it, you feel like, uh, King of the like, there's nothing that feeds me more than that. Sure. Um, now you mentioned earlier that both your father and your brother are doctors, and here you were now playing a doctor yeah. when you did join as Doctor Griffin Castillo. So tell yeah. us about your experience and time in Pine Valley. I told my dad. I would tell my dad he was the technical advisor on the show because whenever <laughs> there was stuff that I was like, I don't even know how to pronounce this word, this verbiage. My dad would come on and explain to me what it was um yeah i was uh brought into the uh, the zendel fan base um <laughs> having to you know tr and that was my first experience really in those kind of waters where people were like who do you think you are coming into this super couple and this and i was like I, i'm just i just got hired for a gig I'm, I'm you know so i got a lot of that feedback which was like Really, I had never experienced anything like that. Um, and I, you know, I take my hat off to Thorsten Kay and what he what he's done and continues to do in daytime television. I really respect what he was doing. And I had the good fortune of getting to work with Alicia Minshew, who I still keep in touch with to this day. Um, 
it's it was amazing and getting to see Ricky Paul again and work with him um, and what they were creating with this Hispanic family with me and, and Lindsay um, it was really it was really great and, and playing the role of the doctor was was very different than Tony um, but I felt that I had that in my toolbox as well coming from a medical family and and you know wanting to show them respect you know and doing and telling their story as well. Um, I loved it. And I got to also work with Vincent Irizarry, um, who I still keep in touch with. And I had the good fortune of working with on Days of Our Lives as well. Um, he's a good friend. Uh, it was so amazing. Everyone was just, you know, from um, Alicia to Susan to Vincent, Ricky, it was just such a great cast. Um, and short-lived, it was really unfortunate. I think I'd been there like 10 months and then they gave it the ax. Um, and we were having such a good time. It was really, and I remember the fans just in an uproar. How could they do this? Two shows at the same time. And it was just really unfortunate. Um, but I, I had a great experience. I, I was, you know, again, friendships that I still keep. And we went on to do the Hulu thing. I feel like that was just, it just missed its timing. It was too soon. Totally. It, right? Because it, it would have been so come, good today. It would have been so good today. And I, I see things on, on social media that they're still kind of flirting with the idea. ABC is still flirting with the idea of bringing the shows back. So there's still some some blood in there. So maybe we can bring it back. I'm hopeful for that. But it was just, ah. Oh. Could have been, could have been something. So I did the Hulu thing for a little bit too, but that didn't, unfortunately, last. Maybe it'll come back. You never know. We never know. People would love it. <laughs> totally, um, totally. Um, so the year after All My Children went off ABC, you had a bunch of big changes in your personal life. You tied the knot yeah. with your wife Caitlin, and you became mm. uh, a first-time dad. Uh, but so tell us how you and Caitlin met. Katie and I met when she was the young age of 17 and I was 22. We met in Santa Monica. Um, my manager was also representing her and she had played a younger version of Charlize Theron in Monster, which Charlize won the Oscar for. Um, and Katie had been acting at a young age as well. Her mother, uh, Patty, had been working in the industry in Florida for a long time doing, she was like the commercial queen like she'd done something like over 100 commercials or something like that and so she kind of grown up in the business as well um, so my manager I guess had asked her um, if she wanted to meet me and I didn't know this at the time but she was a fan of Guiding Light she was a CBS girl she oh. and her family would watch you know the daytime drama on 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 CBS and from what I understand too she kind of had a crush on me Oh, so, hey now. <laughs> hey now. So that worked out. So I was already going in there with like, you know, already on base. I was like, wow. And then when I met her, I was, you know, people talk about it, but there was definitely a spark there. There was a spark. Um, like I said, she's the, the, she's the kindest person I know, and she's got a smile that can light up a room. So we uh, we hung out a little bit during that time, and then she took off she went to school um went to new york for a little bit we always kept in touch um and then when she moved to los angeles to be with her family uh she sent me a facebook message and i responded in kind and basically we never stopped seeing each other since that, that night that we first hung out, um, I didn't let her, you know, live the crazy Los Angeles life. I knew she was the one and, and I just snatched her up before she could get any baggage. Being <laughs> kind of, with, all, with all these sharks lurking in the waters, so I was like, uh-uh, no way. I'm gonna... Smart. Yeah, right? That worked so, out. It worked out real. I'm, man, I'm so grateful. Man, do I... I am, that is my number one. We are, and my girls, man, the gifts that we've 
we've had with this, you know, creating this family has just been so, we're so fortunate. Um, Mm -hmm. She's, she's just, she's a great person, you know, she's a great person, really helps me. Um, I usually take her, you know, I take a lead on a lot of things, but I usually, she's got the final word and I'm always kind of checking in with, with everything with her. And uh, she's been, she's been my champion. There's been times when, you know, I have a family and kids and being between gigs, I was like, babe, what am I going to do? You know, my family is number one. Should I, you know, go pursue? She's like, you are sticking to acting. This is what you're doing. This is what you're meant to do for your rest of your life. So I, she's my number one fan and supporter. So I got really, really lucky with that. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, now in 2016, you took on your third daytime role of Dario Hernandez on days of our lives. So Dario definitely took some turns while you were there. I feel, um, <laughs> you know, like for what you came on, I don't know that that's where he was at the end of it. So, first, you know, what was, what was the pitch? Like when you were coming on, what did they say Dario was going to be? Man, from what I saw is that he was, that he was, what did they, he was, a petty thief was the description. I was like, guys, a petty thief. Um, you know, Rafe being the, the cop, they definitely want conflict there. So what better uh, way to do it than having a brother who's, you know, dealing with underlings and doing underhanded things. So that was, um, that was interesting. I, I liked it because, you know, he had some edge and, and I had known Ken Corday for a while and, and, you know, that was kind of presented to me as, you know, if you want to come join us, like there wasn't even a screen test. Um, Ken and I had had a conversation. He said, if you want to come, come. I had a meeting with him. Um, Josh Griffiths was also the, the head writer at that time. So he was there. He brought me on. Uh, he was putting his family together um, along with the mother and, and A. Martinez. Uh, getting to work with A was is one of the um, another just great relationship, a memorable experience for me. I, I loved working with him. He's got such a a warm, beautiful spirit, um, and ha- had high hopes, you know, for mm-hmm. for this storyline. You know, really kind of leaning into the Hispanic thing. Camila Banos, like. It was awesome. She's from Miami as well, Cuban as well. I was like, this is, this is great. This is exactly what I want. Um, but then, you know, get into servicing other storylines and, you know, the thing with um, Ari's character didn't work out for whatever reason. And you, you never know. I don't, I, you know, I didn't really get to speak to the, the writers and kind of get their um, their sense. And I think for them as well, being so far ahead and, and switching writers uh-huh. um, in the midst of coming onto a show is difficult. It must be just this crazy. I, I, I look at what the head writers have to put together and as many characters as they're dealing with and as many um, commitments as they have to deal with in terms of integrating stories and hitting people's um you know the contracts. What 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 is written in their contracts is, is what, what's negotiated for as many shows as they get a week. Like they have to keep these things working. So it's a real complex maze of storytelling. So I take my hat off, and you know sometimes you're given great story, it comes in ebbs and flows. At least for me, that's the way it's worked. Um, and leaving uh, days that was that was a hard hard one to swallow um but it propelled me into what i call the best year of my life um which was a real year of reflection of you know having those hard conversations with my wife having you know we had a a baby we had a a four-year-old and kind of living in los angeles which is expensive as all get out and and it's crazy so but it was such a year that i look back at and and think wow it really kind of helped me grow up very fast um and we were we were provided for we were taken care of until young and the restless came along um 
and and it was uh, one of those years that I, I will never forget, never forget. Mm-hmm. Um, and develop and and being on that show also, I have some great friendships from there as well. Billy Flynn has become a great friend of mine out here. Um, uh, Marcy Miller as well, great people, great people to work with. Um, you know, Galen, I still keep in touch with. Uh, can I see from time to time? So I, I, I'm wishing all those people great things, and I'm so glad that the show's still still in the air. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I think they're far ahead. I don't know how far ahead they are. I think last time I checked, they were like eight months ahead. So they have plenty of show. To oh yeah, air. they're good till like October. <laughs> uh, that's amazing. Yeah. You know, I think we. I think we're like. I think we're done with our shows. I don't, I don't even. Think um, this any... week. This week yeah. we'll be done. It's crazy. I know it crazy. is. Totally. Crazy. Um. So it was pretty much almost exactly one year after your run as mm-hmm. Dario ended that YNR yep. came along, snapped you up to play Ray. Tell us how uh, the job at YNR came about. Well, I'd known about the character for a while and um, they wouldn't see me. I was like, guys, like um, I would tell my, my representation, I was like, I'm perfect for this. Like, why aren't they seeing it? They, they said they don't want people to have done daytime before. That was what the word was. I was like, all right. Um, so I guess that kind of was over with and just moved on and didn't think about it. And then they called me literally the day before my youngest child, my parents had flown in for my, uh, for Everly's, my, my youngest is baptism. And they asked me if I would come in at 10 or 11 to, to have a chemistry read with, with Sharon Case. I was like, guys, my daughter, like, I want to come in, but my daughter's getting baptized. And they're like, well, will you come in at 9 a.m.? I was like, okay. And they send me four pages of monologues. You know how these screen tests go. They're just like, you're carrying the scene, and you have to show them every facet. So I remember getting it, and it felt very, um, I don't know. I, I, I say from time to time that God's hands are in a lot of things. And in this one, I could really feel it because, the, I, I, the, the, the writing, I felt very connected to what was going on. Um, and I felt like, man, my child's getting baptized when I'm going in. So this is, this is going to be great. It's going to be a great day. So Sharon wasn't available. And I was there with Greg Salmon, who was reading with me. Um, and they had Tracy Bregman come in. And Tracy was done up to the nines. I didn't know who Tracy was, but this beautiful, elegant woman came in and was super kind and super giving and just got me through it. And we got this really good take that I remember I was going up on this one and I I knew where I had to get to, but I was like, I was, and I think the third time Tracy did this move, I'll never forget it. She, she placed her hand on my chest, you know, kept me, get me grounded. Mm-hmm. And she told me, what color are my eyes? And then I just sunk in. And the whole scene was just like, it was beautiful. It went everywhere that it went, needed to go. And I, I always tell people that story because, you know, not every actor will take the time to do that with, with another actor. And I really am grateful that Tracy took the time to do that with me. And, um, and then uh, we tested the next week. Uh, it was just me testing. They didn't have anybody else testing. So I think uh, they pretty much had an idea for me to, to do it. And the test went great with Sharon. And uh, I remember being in the room and after testing, having like this wonderful Q&A with uh, Mal Young and Angelica and, and Jackie and just answering these questions and just having such a good time with it. Um, and sometimes those situations, for whatever reason, when they presented themselves, would be kind of like I wasn't. I, and before, I, I think I'd grown up a little bit with all the the arrows thrown at me in this business. That those were kind of feel uncomfortable, you know, just having to like be in your comfortable in your own skin and having this conversation with like twenty people in this room, just me with the spotlight on me. But I felt great about it. It was like, 
one after another, like from everybody just having a good time and really feeling good about the room and leaving and calling my wife from the car of, uh, in the parking lot of CBS and saying, I left it all on the table. And I think um, they actually called me on my wife's birthday, told me I had the role. And that was on a Tuesday. And on a Thursday and Friday, I was shooting four shows. <laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, um, it was crazy. Um, it was crazy, but it was, it was so, um, it was so great. Uh, just the thrill of it. Just when you, when you, when I get to talk to you guys or whoever and do these interviews and share, you kind of reminisce and it, it just shows you, it was like, man, you, you, you did that. You were, you were able to do that. It's great. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the show did create, you know, a family for Ray. They brought on his brother, Arturo, his sister-in-law, Mia, his sister, Lola. Um, you know, so what was that like to hear that they were building now a family around you? I mean, it was, you know, that's, that's what you want, right? You want, like, to be a, a Hispanic family on a show like Young and the Restless and to represent that and to have that um given a story like that, it, it was huge. It was huge. It was, uh, I didn't, I never t- took things for granted. Having, you know, I, I was able to reflect on my times and being on days and, you know, like what that was like and how that story kind of took a turn for the worse. And in this respect, I was like, no, this is like, a they're, they're really investing in this. So for me, that was, um, you, you can't ask for more in terms of work in this genre. And I didn't know any better. You know, I didn't understand if I was stepping on people's toes and, you know, the Doug Davidson, what, what, you know, the fan feedback or how I was coming in, you know, what Mal was trying to create a lot of people, they had a lot of problems with that because these long, you know, these, these characters who've been, I think Doug has been there the longest. Um, People felt like he was being pushed aside. You know, that wasn't, my fault. I don't know. I, I'm not putting that on anybody, but I really didn't even know what to say other than I love working with Doug. He's wonderful. And I'm not ever going to take his place on this show. Um, so there was a little bit of that as well. Uh, but Ray uh, working in the police station, getting to work with Doug when they brought him back on, getting to you know, really call people out on things and, and having that that platform uh, was incredible. And I felt so connected to the other actors on the show. Uh, Jason, who grew up in Miami, we, we share the Cuban culture. He got into a lot of trouble as a kid as well, so we <laughs> had that. Um, Sasha, her first time, you know, really her first gig um, and such a talent uh, and looked so much like my sister with that hair and those big brown eyes. I was like, this is going to be easy. She's just, man, her story is incredible. And she's just such a, a beautiful, beautiful spirit. And Noemi who basically, man, I remember when they were testing this role for Noemi's character and I knew they were going to like the amount of work that they were throwing at her. I was like, there's no way that it's, it's going to be such a hard thing to, to do and when they asked us our opinion of who should get the role i said this is the only girl who's going to be able to do it noemi was the only one and she did it and she really grabbed that bull and 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 took it so we all i felt very connected to them i still do um and and it's 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 an easy the the rosada family was an easy thing for me to fall into and and to to really connect with these other characters um, you know, I still keep in touch with them to this day. Um, and I think I had, how long did I have with them? Four or five months before Noemi and, and Jason had to leave. And that, that was tough. That was tough. Right. So then Jason and Naomi did leave, but left Sasha on the canvas. So what has it been like for the two of you to be like the remaining Rosales family members? You know, it, it is what it is. We, we've, you know, she's, she's a true pro. Um, uh, she's got a great story right now. Um, 
and I check in with Sasha weekly. Um, and, and in the midst of all this, just maybe, maybe more than weekly in the midst of this, uh, the coronavirus, uh, just making sure that she's good and everything. Um, and, you know, just we're professionals at the end of the day. Uh, fortunately for, for us, we have great um, love stories. You know, I'm tied to, to Sharon and she's tied to, um, I think, Theo now. Yeah, but, she's working with Tyler. But she was working with Michael before and she had a great love story and great wedding. What a beautiful wedding. Oh my gosh, was. totally. Right? I was like, wow, they're really doing that up for this. Um, <laughs> but it, it's been great. And and also, you know, when they brought in the um, Eva LaRue to play my mom, which everybody was like, hey, she's too young to play your mom. What are they <laughs> thinking? And then hence, there goes the beard, right? The beard that I, that, that I, that I work so hard to maintain. Um, so they said, you got to shave. Um, well, she went on Twitter and actually defended it and said, it's possible. Well, well, she was so funny, too, because she said, get this, she said that her grandmother had her mother when she was 16. Right, right. right. So I was like, dude, that's, that's the age difference. And <laughs> who's to say, like, it kind of makes sense for their family. The father leaves, they're young lovers, they get married, he decides to leave at a young age. I have to raise the kids. Like, that makes sense. So I don't know. Um, but you know, it was lovely that they brought her on and hopefully she'll come back because I love working with her. She's, you know, she's another staple in, in primetime and daytime television. Oh, totally. It was great to have her there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, so obviously you work closely with, uh, Sharon Case above all, uh, who has raised love interest. Tell us about, uh, working with, with Sharon. Man, Sharon is, uh, First of all, do you guys know how smart Sharon is? Like, she's super smart. Like, that's one thing that I learned early on, how intelligent she was. So that was very telling, uh, despite, you know, amongst the other beautiful assets that she has, her beauty, her charm, her, but she's very smart. And she's so kind of grounded and chill about um what we're doing and you know if there's something that i want to try you know she likes to god can you i can't imagine being on a show for 25 years and you still just want to make things interesting so for me it's like i need to be excited about going to work so for us it's like finding those ways to kind of like let's and she's game she's always game to make things exciting and fun and and will always be honest and transparent with me which i'm really um thankful for so we have a very um, just a great friendship, and I'm, I'm definitely uh, very um, fortunate um, working with her and and you know trying and, and dealing with this this storyline right now. Um, that's uh, that's tough. That's mm-hmm. tough. Uh, you know, having to face these things at work and, and, and you know, kind of going through what your character is going through. You know, sharing. God, she has a wherewithal and and a spirit that can just this emotional um, threshold that she can just go with, and I I always um, am fed by that and inspired by that. So again, very lucky to to work with her and um, and have fun and, and go to these places with her. Mm-hmm. Um. So uh, you've been there since 2018. Um, anything you would like to see happen with Ray as we go forward? Yeah, I want to get into some some more cop stuff. Um, you know, I think it'll, it would serve the show. Um, and I would also lo- love to dig into, and they touched upon this a little bit with um, with Nick, I think. Nick, the character of Nick Newman and Ray can, you know, they, they have something that they that they flirt with, the writers flirt with, that I think would be fun in terms of like, you know, how do men deal with these things? And they touched upon it. Um, I would love to have a couple of scenes with him uh, over beers or something and just talking like some real life stuff. Yeah, I just love to see him. I love more people getting into trouble and, and for me and Dougie to be able to get into some, some great, you know, crime uh, storytelling. I think uh, mm-hmm. there's some allure there and some mystery that we could get back to. And maybe, you know, Sharon, uh, Ray, and Ray does love Sharon. 
there might be something happening in the future. So we'll see. Another wedding, perhaps? That would be nice. That's a good tease for to keep us all on on pins and needles through the break. Yeah, right. You never know. You never know. (laughs) Uh, But man, again, the show has been so great to me. um, And uh, the the veterans on that show, Eric, you know, he had his 40th and I was there and they had the celebration at the studio and I was able to. to just you know give him my my regards and tell him what I thought and he was just very um, he's just been really cool with me and, and Doug Davidson and, and Laura Lee Bell going to uh, her mother's memorial um, Lee Bell's memorial that was just um, it was beautiful I had no idea what that how much greatness that woman had brought to 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 women and and mm-hmm. to, to television you know she had just done so much. And I was able to to tell Laura Lee that, um, as well as Brad, and really have a moment with them, and just to be part of such a a great show. That's you know, we got another four years um, mm-hmm. telling stories, and to be part of it, and, and I'm just really really grateful. Well, we definitely look forward to seeing what is next for Ray, which hopefully will be sooner rather than later. And we thank you so much for joining us today, Jordy. Oh, man. Amen. Thank you, girls. Thank you, ladies. Um, It's been a pleasure. And y'all stay safe and healthy. Yes, you too. We are so happy to hear that you are all doing better. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you to Jordi Villasuso for being our guest. If you like this podcast, we're on Spotify, so listen on Spotify. Be sure to pick up a new issue on sale now and come back next week for another podcast. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.